Following. Alpha Gene Shepard. Following this WOR 710 editorial. <laughs> WOR AM will consider making time available to responsible spokesmen with opinions differing from this station. Get the machine started. Now, hold it. Now, I'll give you the cue. Just a minute. A special news note. Special announcement uh, here. It's the kind of great stuff that uh, actually happens. It tells you more about the world. Uh, 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 you know, it tells you more about world than, uh, than what Eric Severide talks about. You know, the very official stuff. We have a news note here out of Reuter, Knoxville, Tennessee. You ever been in Knoxville? Well, you, you know what happens in Tennessee around Knoxville, don't you? Well, this is the World Bourbon Center. Oh, they make bourbon all around there. You don't, you don't know anything about bourbon. You don't know what it is. Comes in them bottles, you know. All right. <laughs> oh, you've heard of bourbon. I see. Okay, but uh, <laughs> we're getting someplace now. Well, not only is it the is it the World Center of making bourbon officially, it's also the World Center of another business which is closely allied. So we have a uh, news note here. We'd like to uh, salute uh, somebody with a fantastic pizzazz. And, uh, I mean, really, uh, this guy, chutzpah, they'd call it in New York, out on jail, out on bail on charges of selling moonshine whiskey, Big Les Taylor, 69, discovered that federal officers, when they busted up a still and so forth, overlooked two cases of his merchandise. So, he explained in court today, he had a little, and we quote here, I had a little uh, going out of business sale. 
He immediately got arrested and put back in a slam again. He got 12 months probation. <laughs> like he had it going out of business sale. Yeah. Hold it there, hold it there. Reset that. Hold it. Reset that, please. Reset that, please. Yeah, that the uh, Hey, I wonder... I'm going to ask a question which I know is going to uh, irritate many of you, but I'm just... I, I got to let it all hang out. And while he's resetting that, may I do this commercial for you, gang? A little commercial here. And, uh... It is to this effect. If you knew that going to college would change your life, wouldn't it be worth a few evening hours each week? Well, of course, that depends on how your life has changed. New York Institute of Technology offers more than 150 credit and non-credit courses in all kinds of fields. And their big new semester begins the 10th of February, and you can register uh, in person between now and February 2nd at either campus. Now, remember, the date is February 2nd for registration between now and. In Old Westbury, New York Tech is just off Route 25A. And, uh, by the way, they have all kinds of great courses for technology, many, many things. That they, In fact, they even have some great courses in radio and television that I recommend. But uh, you can register in person between now and the 2nd of February in Old Westbury, their campus, and it's a pretty one, New York Tech is just off Route 25A. It's out on the island. You come directly to Shore Hall if you go to the campus to register, find out about it. And they have a big new campus right here in Midtown Manhattan in New York City at 888 7th Avenue at 56th Street. Now, if you want to call and get any dope on the new semester, they'll send you a catalog real quick so you can make your choice. In Old Westbury, the number to call is 516, if you're calling from the island, that's area 516, MA 63400. And in New York City, it's area 212, and the number is JU 28080. Okay, gang? New York Tech. Well, uh, I don't know whether to, to <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> brack and bork. <clears throat> Uh, I was heavenly influenced by whom at one point when I was a kid. You know, I think we're more influenced by comic strip characters than we are by anybody else, certainly than we are by movie characters. In spite of what Woody Allen says, I don't think many people have been influenced by Bogart. I think more people have been influenced by Snoopy today than by anybody else. Maybe Charlie, uh, Charlie Brown is a great influence on kids. But the <laughs> what comic strip character always went brack, bork, brumph, brumph, hump, brack? You don't know. What the hell do you know? <laughs> you mean you don't know what comic strip character would brack, bork? You mean you don't, Jerry? Well, we'll let you think about that. We'll award you a brass figdiggy with bronze oak leaf palm. As a matter of fact, that character not only influenced me in going brack bork, he probably influenced me more in my humor, the what I use as humor, uh, work in, than any other single literary character, with the possible exception of P.G. Wodehouse. Yeah. I think he had a literary influence. Very interesting character. Who was the cartoonist who drew it? Famous cartoonist, who, by the way, took his cartooning by a correspondence course. You know those little courses you see in the back of a magazine that says, Can you draw? Draw me? You know that kind of thing? 
earn big money making cartoons like this, and it shows a guy going laugh, 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 it comes out of his mouth. Well, he took a cartoon correspondence course when he was a kid, and within a short time he was doing cartooning for a local newspaper, and within a short time after that he was one of the most successful cartoon cartoonists all over the all over the world, in fact, his cartoons went. Only died a few years ago. Brack, Bork, Brumph. <laughs> well, I'll let you think about that, man. But uh, you know, speaking, of, all right, well, all right. Who, who was it then? Let's 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 get it out in the open here. Who was it? Who am I talking about? Who am I talking about? In fact, he was one of the few guys who ever did. I'll, I'll give you a clue. He was one of the few men who ever did cartooning about what could be called the daily workday world of people, as opposed to cartoon characters. In short, one of his fame—he had two famous series. One of them, one of them dealt with industrial things. He created a great famous character. Did any of you ever hear of the Bull of the Woods? <laughs> oh man, your your education has been sadly neglected. What do you mean? This uh, they still run. Ah, uh, sorry, I, I I don't know. Uh, I I can't understand that. I really can't. You know, uh, there's a guy up at Columbia who's doing a very interesting piece. Uh, he's doing a, a Ph.D. thesis on on how media separates people as well as bring, brings them together. And it's interesting to find that so many people will, will know immediately a cartoon character, you say. Uh, and on the other hand, they won't recognize another one that has been on the same page, probably of the first one, for countless years. Now, if I said to you, Snoopy, everybody knows Snoopy. But not necessarily. Right at this moment, everybody would know Snoopy. Because Snoopy happens to be having its big popularity at this time. But give it a couple years, and Snoopy will be running in the paper, and there will be another one that everybody will, you know, know about. That There will be another one will grow, and everybody will be talking about that one. And Snoopy will gradually be just another one of those cartoons that some people look at and some don't. Now, I'll give you an example of that. Do you remember just a couple years ago when Pogo was the biggest thing since bottled beer? When every, every, uh, every, oh, they came out with all kinds of little books, you know, the, the Pogo readers. You remember all those things? And now Pogo, uh, you know, I, I bet a lot of the people who look at, uh, who look at uh, Snoopy and Charlie Brown don't even look at Pogo. And yet it's on the same page. So your mind blanks things out. That's right, right in front of you. <laughs> you still don't see it. Uh, and even before that, well, you remember the big excitement that was around uh, just before Pogo? Do you remember the schmooze? The schmooze, all right. Who created the schmooze? That's correct. And so each one, yeah, it was Al Cap. All right, who created the Pogo? Come on, what's, what's the name of the cartoonist? You, you know, it's funny how little we know cartoonists. For one thing, they rarely appear on television shows. You know, most people are used to authors appearing on TV. Uh, 
They used to actors, politicians. But it is rare that anybody... That is correct. Deck the halls with Boston, Charlie. That's uh, Walt Kelly. Okay. Who, correct, who, who creates uh, Snoopy? Schultz. That is correct. All right, now I'm going to ask you these names. You should know these people. Uh, because they, you know, these people, everybody looks at them. They've been, uh, you know, they're part of our world. They're very definitely part of our world. And, uh, and yet the guys that created them are very little known compared to other people who created lesser things. Uh, who creates a, let's take some really great classical comic strips. Who created Smiling Jack? All right, who was it? Well, let you think about that. I'm not going to tell you. Why should I share my superior knowledge with you? It's up to you to go and dig it out. <laughs> All right, I'll ask another one. Who created Orphan Annie? One of the most famous characters of all. He died a few years ago. Who created Orphan Annie? Who created Popeye? Now, Popeye is still a famous cartoon character all over the world. He's even more popular in Europe today than he is in America. Who created Popeye? Don't know, huh? Well, I'll give you a clue for Popeye down at the bottom of his famous cartoon strip, which incidentally was never called Popeye. What was it called? It still runs. And under that name, it's not called Popeye. You mean you've never heard of Thimble Theater? Well, that's what Popeye's actually called. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll give you a clue. At the bottom, uh, he used to, when he was alive, at the bottom, I don't think he's alive. In fact, I know he isn't. Down at the bottom, the original cartoonist who created Popeye used to have a little symbol of a little cigar that was down at the bottom of the strip burning, a little smoke coming off the top of it. And uh, that's a clue as to what his name was. Now, his name wasn't Cigar, but it was very close. All right, I'll tell you what his name was so that you, so that you don't get the, you know, flip completely. His name was Cigar. S-E-G-A-R, Cigar. And so you had a little cigar down at the bottom there. All right, who, who, uh, now there, there's a name most of you probably never even heard of, and yet he created Popeye, who's one of the great, who created uh, Flash Gordon? Okay. Uh, <laughs> who created, who created Prince Valiant? Well, now, wait a minute. These, uh, these, are, these are guys that have created famous characters. This is WOR New York, speaking of famous characters. Who created uh, Joe Palooka? Now, there's a famous name. He died a couple of years ago. Who created that character? Joe Palooka and Nobby Walsh. I'm amazed you guys don't know that. You mean you know, Ham Fisher? Yeah. Uh, who created? Uh, who created? Uh, let's let's go into some of the really classic ones now. 
Who created uh, Maggie and Jigs? Great classic uh, cartoon strip. And by the way, he was a very, he in his own right uh, had great reputation among cartoonists uh, as a humorist. He was a very funny man. And by the way, in, in life, in life, he looked very much like Jigs did. His car in fact, this is true of many cartoon characters. Uh, that quite often the, the character in a cartoon, maybe it's subconscious, maybe it's unconscious, will re resemble the guy that does it. That in his younger days, believe it or not, Al Cap looked a little like Lil Abner. Yeah, the big hair and all. Yeah, he, he really did. Well, he romanticized himself, but nevertheless, his face, I'm talking about the face. I'm not arguing that. Uh, what uh, What other character? Uh, you don't know who created Maggie and Jigs. You mean you've never heard of the famous George McManus? Very famous character. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, I'll ask you other ones now, uh, just to put you on your, on your medals. Because, uh, you know, we're all Americans together. You should know these things. These are people who have created famous American, or who created Buck Rogers. There's a great classic character. And people always talk about Buck Rogers and that, but hardly anybody mentions who, who created the thing. No, no. Well, all right, uh, let's go into others then. Some, some really classic ones. Who created uh, Winnie, the, Winnie Winkle? How about Brenda Starr? Okay. You don't know the name of the... Uh, uh, it's a woman who does Brenda Starr. Ever heard the name Dale Messick? M-E-S-S-I-C-K? You mean you don't look at... Look, look. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really something, you know? Nobody looks to see who does it. Uh, and, and yet these people, are, you know, they've created great classical characters. Uh... Who, who created uh, Steve Canyon? I'll give you a clue. It was the same guy that created Terry and the Pirates. And I'll also give you a further clue. The guy that does and draws Terry and the Pirates today is not the same guy that created it. The Terry and the Pirates was sold by the guy that created it, and it became very famous, and he, he sold it to the syndicate that he worked for, and he went out and created another character, Steve Canyon. Well, I'll give you... Well, I shouldn't give you these clues. I'll give you a clue on that one. His first name is Milton. Very famous cartoonist. He's in the news often, too. <laughs> well, all right, I... Why do I know all these things? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe from the time I was a little kid, I was conscious of names. In fact, names play a great role in my writing. If you if you are familiar with my book Wanda Hickey, you'll find that I deal a lot in names. Names to me are very interesting, and so I was always familiar and I was conscious of names from the time I was a kid. And I used to wonder about these guys. I'd read the cartoon strip, you know, and there down at the bottom would be the name of the guy. And I used to wonder about him, you know, whether whether he, you know, what kind of a guy he was. And I've never yet uh, ceased to, I have not lost that interest in him. Uh, who created uh, 
we'll ask you more then. Who created... You remember uh, little Henry? You remember Henry? The kid? All right. Who created the... Yeah, he's a listener, incidentally. He ri he's been writing to me for a long time. A lot of these guys are listeners, incidentally. Uh, who created uh, Hazel, the maid? Some of these characters have become so big, they've become TV characters even. Who are they? Wouldn't you love to see a panel of these guys that created these great, fantastic characters? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be interesting to you know, see the guy that created Prince Valiant sitting next to the guy that, let's say, uh, uh, created, uh, oh, uh, hey, all right, who? Here's a famous one. Now, let's, let's get into some really great classic ones. Uh, who was the cartoonist who created, and he's, uh, he's still a very honored name among cartoonists and uh, journalists, he's a very famous man. Who created Crazy Cat? All right, I'll ask you questions about that strip. You should know about that. What was the name of the mouse in Crazy Cat? <laughs> and and uh, and the cat loved this little mouse, and yet the mouse was always attacking the cat. See, everything was reversed in Crazy Cat. The mouse was constantly attacking this cat, and how did he attack him? Brick. That's right. And where did he get the bricks? Well, he he got them from from somebody's brickyard that he always referred to. He was getting uh, brute-like bricks from this brickyard, at which point he would, he would hurl this brick and it would bounce off the top of Crazy Cat's head, right? And what was the name of the mouse? <laughs> I'll give you a clue on that one. His name starts with an I. It's not Isidore. And it's not Izzy. What is his name? All right. Who created Pluto Pup? Pluto the Pup. Well, who created Clarabelle Cow? You ever hear of those characters? You mean you never heard of uh, Dippy Dog? You never heard of any of those? Well, I'm, I'm amazed, though, at, at the lack of, of recognition that you have. Because I, I think most people don't know them by name, but if I held up a card you'd rec with a picture, you'd recognize the picture. Well, I'll give you a very, very definite clue on that. All of the characters that I just mentioned are now featured in a Hertz automobile ad. That's right. You mean you don't remember the name of those characters? Dippy Dog? Pluto Pup? Clarabelle Cow? Yeah, Clarabelle Cow. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry he created... That was Disney, of course. Now, uh, how about, how about uh, some more, more contemporary characters? Who, who, who creates Buzz Sawyer? Don't know. All right, I'm, I'm going to give you some homework. I want to say the next time you pick up a comic a page, you know, like a comic strip, like if you pick up the news or you pick up a post and there's that comic strip there, look at the names of the guys and see if you recognize any of those names. Uh, you know, the people who actually do them. 
you, you mean you don't know the name of the guy that did Steve Canyon? What was the name of the county? The county where uh, Crazy Cat lived. <laughs> yeah, they always talked about it. And you remember it was Spanish. You remember all the words were in Spanish. There'd be a big... You remember the, the fantastic... Uh, if you've ever seen any Crazy Cat reprints, they're really worth looking at because his backgrounds were wild. You ever look at the backgrounds of, of cartoon characters, you really see some fascinating things. But uh, that the backgrounds of that particular strip was always like like you'd see the moon in three dimensions. There's that three quarter that quarter moon hanging up there, and uh, you saw this flat background with a mesa on the background with a sign hanging from it, and uh, in in Spanish. Yeah, what was the name of the policeman in that? He's another big famous character. Yeah, and he was always putting the mouse in jail. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, all right. So, so uh, these these are all part of the literature of that that we that everybody in America is is in a way somehow related to. Spending much more than uh, uh, than we we'll give credit to. Uh, who was it who went Bork? You still don't know. You're still out there hanging, huh? Well, I'll give you a clue that there were two characters drawn by the same guy for different syndicates. They were very much the same character, except that one uh, dressed a little differently. One always wore, I'm giving you a cue now, a definite clue on what it is. He, huh? He always wore a fez. He always wore a fez. You know what a fez is? One of these red hats with a tassel hanging down? And they, he was always walking around the house with one of those fezes on. Uh, who, who, uh, all right, all right, we'll ask you another, some more characters now, now uh, just to show you who, are, uh, who, who created Moon Mullins, K.O.? <laughs> You don't know. All right. Uh, who, who, uh, what was the name of the boyfriend of Tilly the Toiler? He was a famous character. And they, they, uh, they were also in a lot of these little blue books, these obscene books. <laughs> you remember those little blue <laughs> What was his name? And there was a third guy in there who was always trying to make the scene with her, but he never quite, uh, you know, he was like the third man in the triangle. Did you ever hear of Wally Whipple? Okay, well, who was the hero of that strip? And here's another question. Where did Tilly the Toiler toil? What was the name of the company she toiled in? And what business were they in? <laughs> Well, now, don't ask me why I, I, I you know, these things are, because uh, all these cartoon strips, you know, with rare exceptions that I mentioned, still are running. So don't don't come around and say, oh, that's the old days. Not at all. These characters are still at, at work. All right, here's one now. Smitty. You've ever seen Smitty? Okay, where did Smitty work, and what was the name of his boss? That's right. That's the first one, Mr. Bailey. That's correct. 
That's right. That's right. And what what was uh, what is uh, Smitty's kid brother's name? Kirby. That's right. Correct. Huh? I can't hear you at all. Something throwing? I don't know what you mean. I can't hear you. You'll have to write it down and pass it through. But uh, these are these are <laughs> this kind of a show. I mean, this is a this is a dull type show. I don't mean to. to I just got started on that, and I, and I didn't want to uh, didn't want to you know drop it because that bork bork hack hack calf stuff influenced a lot of people. Uh, the mouse. You still want to know what the name of that mouse is? He's really worried about that. No, I'm just going to let you worry about that, friend. I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you think about that. That little mouse. You remember him? He was a mean-looking little mouse. He was mean, huh? Izzy? No, it's not Izzy. That's close, though. Who created Smokey Stover? Now, remember Smokey Stover, notary Sojak? Who created Smokey? Uh, <laughs> And uh, what was the name of the fire chief in Smokey Stover? Well, these, the, you know, this this stuff is this is total uh, total nonsense, really. But it really isn't. Though. All right. Or what was the name of the main character uh, in Flash Gordon that he was fighting all the time? That's right, Ming the what? He wasn't just called Ming. That is correct, Ming the Merciless. And Ming the Merciless was based on what character that appeared in literature? Written by whom? All right, Ming the Merciless, and this is a, he, he was almost an exact copy of Fu Manchu. That is correct. And who wrote Fu Manchu? Who created Dr. Fu Manchu? And incidentally, uh, this guy's work had a fantastic influence. In fact, in many cases, I, I think he even drew his exact plots from this guy on Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming is the one who created James Bond. What was the name of that writer? Well, you mean you've never heard the term Sax Romer? Well, Sax Romer created Dr. Fu Manchu, the insidious doctor. And, uh, and uh, getting back to Ming, where did Ming live? He was not from Earth. What was the name of the place he lived? You mean none of you have ever heard of the planet Mongo? <laughs> of course. <laughs> and and uh, and everybody knows the name of Flash Gordon's girlfriend. And uh, since everybody knows that, we won't even bother to ask that. We will ask this, though. What was the name of Buck Rogers' girlfriend? You mean there isn't anybody out there who remembers the unforgettable Wilma Deering? And uh, what was the name of the, 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 the enemy who pursued Buck Rogers relentlessly? He wore his hair, it looked like his hair was painted on his head. He wore it so flat and it was shiny. And he had, a, he had an evil mustache. You mean nobody remembers uh, Black Barney? And his evil girlfriend, Ardala. <laughs> oh, 
well, I mean, these are, these are all parts of, uh, of, you know, Americana that uh, you just can't... And don't for a minute think these are ancient. These, these strips uh, ran... Uh, many of them are still running. Uh, so don't, don't fall into that feeling that they've disappeared or not. How many of you know that Mutton Jeff still runs? That is correct. It does. It runs every day. So does uh, Joe Palooka run every day. And Moon Mullins and K.O. Uh, there is a man in Moon Mullins who is titled... What is his name? That is correct. Lord Plushbottom. And, uh, and to whom is he married? <laughs> hey, yeah, you're getting there. That's right. But uh, this, this, these are all, these are all uh, absolutely indelible characters. Did you know that at one time, movies... Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see somebody do a collection sometime on, on TV. It would be kind of groovy if somebody did a week. You know how they always have a, you know, they'll have Mickey Rooney week or something on television, the old movies? If they had comic strip week, do you know that at one time, almost all these comic strips were translated into the movies? Did you know that there was a Flash Gordon movie? Okay. Did you know that there was a Maggie and Jigs movie? There was. Well, none of these made it, but they were there. They made them. Uh, who played Blondie in the movies? Well, all right, if, if you don't know that, maybe you'll know who played Dagwood in the movies. But all these, it would be kind of great if somebody would come on, you know, and have a, a week of old comic strip movies, like one, you know, on Monday you have... Uh, you have a Blondie and Dagwood, and then <laughs> you have Flash Gordon, and then you have yeah, they were all uh, they, Maggie and Jigs. They were all they were all made into movies at one time, almost all of them. Joe Palooka, did you know Joe Palooka was a movie? That's right. No, no, uh, wouldn't it wouldn't it be kind of great to see a week of these things and just see what the, you know how they worked out in the movies, uh, but the. Uh, there was a little Abner movie. Now I'm not talking about the musical. Yeah. There was a Buck Rogers movie. That's right. And, uh, but now, here, I'll ask you another one now. If you, if you, if you, you know, if you're getting uh, deeply involved in this, what was, uh, do you enjoy this or not? Uh, is this, is this boring you? Uh, do you find it interesting? Uh, do you? Oh, you're just saying that. <laughs> Because if you don't, you know, the hell with it. I, 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 I'm just amazed, though. What, what surprises me, though, this, this always has surprised me, is the lack of knowledge that the average walking around American has about the people who have actually created what could be called popular culture. They know movie stars. Now, that's part of pop culture. You couldn't, hardly anybody, could you stop on the street who doesn't know who Elizabeth Taylor is. That's pop culture. Who doesn't know who Marilyn Monroe was? Uh, you know, they, they know these people. If you, if you stop them on the street and you tell you, you know, who, who's Clark, who was Clark Gable, they'd know immediately. They're all part of pop culture. And, and, and practically everybody you'd stop on the street would instantly recognize if you'd say, who's Mutt and Jeff? They'd say, well, they're cartoons, right? If you say, and they could even recognize them. I showed them a picture. If I showed you a picture of, say, uh, uh, Jigs. You'd say, oh, that's Jigs. 
uh, or that's Maggie. These are old coats. If I showed you a character today, if I showed you Buzz Sawyer, it's odd, it's Buzz Sawyer. And yet, the people that created these things, nobody knows them at all. Absolutely nobody. I'll never forget uh, one day walking into uh, a store. This is just a, just a, and I'm not trying to name drop, but it's just a, I happen to know uh, uh, quite a few cartoonists. And one day, I walked into a drugstore with a guy. And uh, we were just, we were on our way to a meeting of uh, the National Cartoonist Society. Anyway, we walked into this drugstore. And uh, it happened to be the day before, there was, there was a lot of papers piled up. It was on a Monday, as a matter of fact. And a lot of papers were, be, you know, being sent back to the, they weren't sold from the day before the Sunday comics and all that were piled up. And right on the front page, I could see about 500 of his cartoons all piled up, see. And, uh, and we walked around in the store and uh, we got what we needed, like just made the telephone call or whatever it was, and we walked down. I thought, you know, I wonder how many people in this place would even recognize the name of this guy. Here he is. They'd all, absolutely all, recognize the character. No question about it. Every, every last guy would recognize his character. I don't think there's a, a guy in America alive who wouldn't recognize, say, uh, Steve Canyon. Or let's say, Terry and the Pirates. He'd know who they are, even if he doesn't look at it. And yet that was the guy I was with. Uh-huh. <laughs> you want me to tell the name? All right, all right. Uh, uh, here, here's, here's another one. I, I used to go, uh, used to know at one time the guy that did Dondi. You know, Dondi. You see Dondi. Uh, and, 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 yeah, he did the cartooning. He created these characters. And the, these characters, you know, to create a character like that is one of the most difficult things really, that I can think of, the creative character that catches the public's attention and holds it so much so that it becomes a household word. Uh, take, take Popeye. Uh, this, this, this character became a household word. No, the mouse was not Ira. <laughs> Ira. You mean you don't know the name of that poor little mouse? Oh, man, I tell you. Well, as, as a kid, I, I, uh, I used to... All right, who, who, uh, who, uh, what was the name, the last name, of two characters named Hans and Fritz? Hans and Fritz. Well, no, they had a last name. And it started with a K. Don't you remember the Katzenjammer kids? Yeah. Well, their, their name was Hans and Fritz. All right, which one was the blonde one? One was blonde, one had dark hair. <laughs> you better be careful. And uh, what, was, what was the name of... of uh, there was a little guy that would walk around on that cartoon strip and he had a tall hat. No, he was not the professor. Although he did have a, he had a title similar to that. It was not the professor. What was he? He was simply referred to. All right, I'll tell you, so you so you don't go to sleep uh, flipping tonight. The inspector. <laughs> That's right. They never said what he inspected. I always thought that was really great to have a character simply called the inspector. Yeah. What's the name of Dagwood's boss? Huh? That's right. That's right. What's Dagwood's last name? Well, that's correct. Right. 
And, uh, what's the name of their dog? That's correct, Daisy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right, all right. What's, what's the name... What's the name of of his boss's wife? Now we're getting esoteric. Right. All right, now, what's the name of, of, of... Now, what character, what famous character, other than Little Abner, is a hillbilly? He really plays a hillbilly. And incidentally, his hillbillies are far more authentic than Al Capp's. I'll give you a clue. His his initials are SS. And he wears a big black hat. Which, by the way, that type of hat is becoming very popular among the hippies. That is really a, a hillbilly type hat. A big black flat-rimmed hat. And he has a big, fat, enormous wife. There you go. You mean you do not remember Snuffy Smith? That is correct. And uh, what is the name of his wife? All right. You mean you don't remember Louise? That's the hillbilly way of pronouncing Louise. Louise. And and uh, and his his place. Who are the little guys that he used to? He hangs around with a lot. Who have little? Who have beards? And live up in the hills. The reedy hillbilly hillbillies. You mean you never heard of the feather merchants? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> all of these are characters. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, no, I'm not going to tell you the name of the mouse. Forget it. You, you've blown it. Yeah. Right. Okay, now, so, so uh, you know, tonight, so this, is a, this has been one of those shows, but the, the thing is, what I, what I tried to do with this show is try to get, get somebody to be conscious of the names of these people. Now, I could come on and give you all these names. That wouldn't mean anything. The thing to do is to look at them the next time you see the strip. Actually, look at that name. Uh, what, was the, what was the, you know, speaking of, of, of names, once in a while, one of the characters, uh, one, of the, one of the cartoonists, will go into another area and create other things, novels and plays and books. What is the most uh, recent cartoonist who has become a, a famous playwright? Yeah, Jules Pfeiffer, of course. The classic example. Jules uh, is originally a cartoonist, of course, worked in the Village Voice. What was the name of his most famous character that most people think of as, a, as an actual character? in connection with Jules's uh, cartoons. You should know that, Jerry. You mean you don't remember Bernard? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm con uh, conscious of the whole idea of of, of, of uh, creating characters because this is basically and essentially what my work consists of. I mean, creating a character, Schwartz and Flick and Bruner. Uh, these are characters, you know. 
uh, to create a character that has ramifications and meanings. But Bernard, <laughs> you don't remember the mouse? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, uh, we'll let you think about that. That's uh, You don't remember... All right, I'll tell you who it is that went Bork. I'll give you that. You mean you don't remember Judge Puffle? Major Hoople? Same character. Same character. Major Hoople's the same character. In, in one, in one uh, strip, he was called Judge Puffle, and another, he was Major Hoople. You remember him with his fez? Brack, Bork, Bork, Calf, Brump. That uh, reminds me of the time when I was uh, talking to the uh, Shah of Japip, who was at that time an old friend of mine, just about the time that the Boer War ended, Brack Bork. This character was very similar to the character that W.C. Fields played. Uh, do you agree with that? And the uh, same cartoonist created the Bull of the Woods. So I'll uh, bring it up there. This has been tonight's lesson in Americana. Tonight's lesson in uh, the planet Mongo, Ming the Merciless. You mean you don't remember Flash Gordon's girlfriend? Well, you mean to tell me you never heard of Dale Arden? Dale Arden? Oh, for heaven's sakes. What, uh, you do remember who discovered America? Don't you remember Christopher? Uh, <laughs> this is W.O.R. New York. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WR newsroom. Fire and explosions have ripped through an ammunition storage area at the rear of the Saigon headquarters of South Vietnam's national television network. First reports say one South Vietnamese was killed, three others were injured. The incident occurred shortly before United States Ambassador Ellsworth Bunker and columnist William F. Buckley were to appear at the studios. Reporters at the scene said the explosions apparently were accidental. Champagne flowed in Brussels, Belgium tonight as British and European common market officials finally completed their negotiations to make Britain a member. Talks have been going on for nearly 19 months with the last point of disagreement revolving around British imports of farm products from the continent. Ultimate agreement had been a foregone conclusion since last June. Treaties are expected to be signed on Saturday, making Britain, Denmark, Ireland, and Norway members as of next January 1st. Congressional action will be sought to put an end to the Pacific Coast dock strike, which resumed today after last-minute negotiations failed to bring a settlement in the long-standing dispute. Pickets are marching again at the 16 ports, which were shut down last year in a 100-day strike and then halted on October 6th by a Taft-Hartley injunction. Labor Undersecretary Lawrence Silverman says that congressional action is the only means left to stop the strike, the administration will ask the Congress either to extend the time period of the injunction or submit the dispute to a so-called Final Offer Selection Board. House Republican Minority Leader Gerald Ford says he is certain that the Congress will take action to stop the West Coast dock strike. I would uh, expect that if the strike continues, there will be action by the Congress uh, in a relatively short period of time. Congress goes into session on January 18th. Uh, this kind of legislation in the past has uh, been handled rapidly uh, by the House and the Senate. And in this emergency, this crisis, I would expect Congress would respond very quickly. 
A nationwide strike by air controllers in Canada has virtually closed down that country's 116 airports, and the walkout also disrupted overseas flights into and out of New York's Kennedy Airport when planes were forced to fly more southerly and longer routes as a result of the Canadian strike. Flights from Europe to Montreal and Toronto were diverted to other airports, including Kennedy, with passengers then put on buses for their Canadian destinations. A spokesman for Canada's transport minister said there is a possibility that the parliament might be recalled to deal with the problem. Canadian air controllers are demanding parity with their American air colleagues. The moans and groans emanating from the Park Sheraton Hotel in Manhattan today were coming from citizens testifying before the Metropolitan Transportation Authority Board on the proposed fare increases for the Long Island Railroad. Railroad says it wants to close a $10.4 million deficit gap by increasing fares 20% on average, but many commuters said that average is a little misleading. Many riders would be stuck with a 130% increase. About 100 citizens appeared before the board warning of boycotts, new welfare clients, and a loss of Manhattan business, all resulting from a fare increase. Walter Kleinscourt of the Hempstead Commuters Association suggested that the board has already made up its mind to grant the fare increase, but MTA Chairman Dr. William Ronan denied the charge, saying that the board has an open mind on the fare increase request. Betty Smith, author of A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, died today at Shelton, Connecticut. She was 75. The book, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, was published in 1943, became an American literary classic describing the author's childhood in Brooklyn. The novel was an immediate success. It brought in an estimated $1 million. Royalties from its sale continued to pour in years after it was published. It was eventually made into a successful motion picture. We'll have more news after this note. Planning a ski trip this weekend? WR Radio has the weather forecast and the information on how the weather affects the conditions at your ski area. Tune in 710 in the morning to Rambling with Gambling. In the afternoon, Radio New York with host John Wingate. Ski reports start early Thursday morning on WRAM Radio 710. WRAM Radio News Time in 15 seconds, five minutes after 11 o'clock. Governor Nelson Rockefeller delivers his State of the State address to a joint session of the state legislature tomorrow amid rumblings that lawmakers intend to cut even further the governor's so-called austerity budget. Legislative budget hearings will start soon in Albert Roberts, Secretary of the Assembly Ways and Means Committee, says the budgets of state departments and agencies will get very close attention with particular notice given to programs of low priority. The governor's message tomorrow to be broadcast by WOR at 1 p.m. is expected to carry out the somber tone of the budget, but is not expected to include any new major state programs. Firemen are continuing to battle a blaze in a Patchogue, Long Island factory tonight, although the fire was officially declared under control at 5 p.m. More than 300 volunteer firemen from 30 Suffolk County communities fought the blaze for four hours in sub-freezing temperatures. The flames, apparently fed by plastics inside the three-story building, sent billowing smoke over the business district visible for 10 miles. The factory provided the principal occupation for the residents of Patchogue. Cause of the fire is not known. A number of firemen were treated for frostbite and smoke inhalation. However, there are no serious injuries. Relatives of Mrs. Jacqueline Onassis, who live on Long Island, 
We're involved in court action today. That story from WOR's Henry George. The lawyer for an aunt and cousin of Mrs. Jacqueline Onassis today accused the Suffolk County Health Department of illegally threatening them with eviction from their 28-room mansion in East Hampton, Long Island. The health department, in turn, charges that 76-year-old Mrs. Edith Bouvier Beale and her 54-year-old daughter are living in what they call indescribable filth. In State Supreme Court in Riverhead, Attorney Joseph Lagututa said the law does not give health officials jurisdiction in the case. He also charged that inspectors visited the home on three separate occasions without a proper search warrant. Lagatuta said, My clients have their own lifestyle, and the county has no right to impose another on them. Assistant County Attorney Donald Rataliata insisted that both state and local health laws permit the county to intervene in the case. Justice Thomas Stark reserved decision. Until he makes his ruling, the county is enjoined from pressing the eviction proceeding. From Long Island, this is Henry George for WOR News. A huge international drug ring which used cars to smuggle heroin into the United States was broken up today with the arrest of 16 people in France, Canada, and the United States. Nine other suspects are still being sought. The operation, according to authorities, brought in an estimated $293 million worth of heroin from France during the past two years. The two Americans indicted were both from the Bronx, 48-year-old Louis Cirillo and 27-year-old John Astudo. Cirillo is in custody, but Astudo, who also uses the name of Salvatore Rizzo, is still being sought. Attorney General John Mitchell said the heroin was hidden inside expensive cars in Europe. When the autos reached America, they were taken to garages where the concealed heroin was removed. New York telephone bills will be going up soon. The Public Service Commission today granted a nearly $161 million rate increase to the New York Telephone Company, which will hike rates about 9%. The new rates are in addition to a $190 million temporary rate increase approved last July. The commission admitted that the increase was large, but said the money was needed to improve the telephone system. Rate increases cannot take effect until the company files detailed rate schedules with the PSC. Young Russians visiting the United States apparently like what they see, and they have apparently fallen into the habit of walking off with merchandise. The latest incident revealed today involved a 19-year-old member of the Soviet national hockey team, which played here in New York recently and who visited Corvettes in Manhattan about 10 days ago, saw a sports jacket he liked, stuck it under his arm, and walked out of the store. Alexander Volkvon was grabbed by a store security man, the Russians signed a statement of guilt, but store officials said they didn't want to make a big deal out of it and they did not press charges. Earlier this month, two Russian students were caught shoplifting in Berkeley, California. One of them slashed his throat and wrists while he was en route to Kennedy Airport for his return to the Soviet Union. The judge compared them to a Benedict Arnold or a Judas. Federal Judge John Canelo was referring to two former New York City police narcotics detectives who were sentenced for conspiring to sell cocaine while they were allegedly fighting the narcotics traffic. 41-year-old Charles Kelly of Comac, Long Island, and 36-year-old Raymond Imp of Staten Island 
appeared in Manhattan federal court today following their conviction for a second time after the reversal of the first trial. The judge, after admonishing the pair, sentenced them to eight years in prison. More news after these notes from our WOR community calendar. The eye-opener traveling exhibit of the Metropolitan Museum of Art will be visiting the Midwest Side community from now through January 29th. See the exhibit in the courtyard of Stephen Weiss Towers, 124 West 91st Street, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on weekdays. Equity Library Theater is presenting an anthology of highlights of three reviews of the 1930s and 1940s, now through the 30th of January, at the Master Theater, 103rd Street and Riverside Drive. For reservations, call 663-2028. Admission is free. Back now to the news. Bombs exploded tonight at the United States Embassy and two other American buildings in Tehran, Iran. Two Iranian guards were injured slightly at the embassy. They were the only casualties. One explosion shook the Iran-American Cultural Hall while a concert was in progress. The audience rushed out in panic, but no one was hurt. United States Senator Edward Kennedy has attacked President Nixon's foreign and domestic policies just three days before the President's State of the Union message. Kennedy said he fears the administration may be prostrating itself to Peking in its eagerness to improve relations with Red China. Senator Kennedy referred to the recent India-Pakistan conflict in issuing this warning to the Nixon administration. The India-Pakistan war has become the Achilles heel of the Nixon foreign policy. It demonstrates how warped our policy really is, how prostrate towards Peking our policy has become. Of course, the president deserves great credit for his new approach to China. The policy is right towards China. Let us pray that history does not tell us that the price we paid was wrong because we lost sight of other nations and deeper values. Let us not be led astray by our morbid preoccupation with Vietnam or our newfound fascination with Peking. In sports tonight, in college basketball, number four-ranked South Carolina got a real scare. South Carolina had to come from way behind to edge St. Bonaventure 61-59. to Temple beat Delaware 82-68. to Kings College 84, Iona 74, St. Peter's of Jersey City 81, Baltimore Loyola 77, Florida Presbyterian 92, Bloomfield College of New Jersey 57. Roosevelt Raceway, Daily Double, number one, off-track betting letter A, Davey Decker, and number five, OTB letter E, My Donut. The feature won by number two, off-track betting letter B, Bald Ridge Lobel. New York stock market made a modest gain today in moderately heavy trading. Dow Jones Industrial Average ended the session up 4.44. Transportation issues up 3.10. Utilities were down 0.07. The volume, 15,860,000 shares. With 897 advances, 590 declines, 273 issues unchanged. The New York Stock Exchange Index up 0.17. On the American Exchange, volume, 5,960,000 shares. 606 issues advancing, 374 declining, and 249 unchanged. The Amex Index up 0.13. Weather forecast for New York City and vicinity, clear and not so cold tonight. Lows in the upper 20s. Tomorrow mostly sunny and milder, the highs in the low 40s. Fair tomorrow night, the lows in the low 30s. Wednesday increasing cloudiness and mild, highs in the low 50s. Current temperature, 30 degrees. Humidity 47%. The winds are out of the southwest at 9 miles an hour. 
And the barometer reads 30.26 inches, and it is steady. These highlights in the news at this hour. Fire and explosions ripped through Saigon Television Studios prior to arrival of United States Ambassador and columnist William F. Buckley. Britain wins admission to the European Common Market. Senator Kennedy blasts administration on its foreign and domestic policies. Betty Smith, author of A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, dies at age 75. And that's the latest from the WOR Newsroom, Lester Smith reporting. Hear news as it happens over WOR in New York, 710 on your dial, your station for all the news as it happens. I'm Barry Farber, and a little bit later on tonight, we are going to have an all-star cast of two characters, one political formerly and one journalistic presently, who because of their lack of inhibitions and lack of inhibitory employment uh, have every freedom in the world to say exactly how they feel about what's wrong with the city, with the state, with the nation, even with the world if they want to venture that far. And I'm looking forward to the exchange among uh, Chuck Merdler. You remember Chuck Merdler, uh, Mayor Lindsay's first commissioner of buildings, uh, Joe Fury of the New York Post. We've got no real targets, but we're going to glide from one to another target of opportunity and try to get to, uh, if not the bottom of things, at least the top of some things. Before that, I'm going to be with people who, by mutual consent, even though they're not really my people in everyday life, uh, I have never seen uh, uh, a panel that is just so incandescent with culture. They're not really doing their thing right now. Mimi Yankovic is not advising. Uh, Mr. Nikolai is not dancing or directing the dance. And Mr. Reinhardt is not in there managing. However, we're going to get closer to the gut work of East-West Cultural Exchange and have been able to get in a friendly way on these microphones in a long time. Coming up a little bit later on, a report, and I can't wait. Uh, I almost want to take a couple of days of your time right now and tell you what's going on with VV, Victory Over Violence in the Henry Hudson Hotel, thanks to your thousands and thousands and still more thousands of letters, uh, I'll s simply say this, if you were about to write me an abusive letter because you haven't gotten your package of information yet, save eight cents, donate it to the charity or fantasy of your choice because everything is moving out of the Henry Hotel Hudson, uh, Hotel Henry Hudson this week, so please bear with me, it's all almost literally on the way. First, my sponsor, Weight Watchers, is the answer. Matter of fact, it's not the answer to a fantasy because fantasies don't really exist. It's the answer to an old question over these microphones. I remember I was interviewing one of the founders of Weight Watchers, and I said, look, why do you have to have charts and, and, and scales? Who needs all that bookkeeping? Why don't you freeze Weight Watchers dinners and luncheons? Well, I don't know whether my idea was grabbed out of thin air or not. I know I'm not getting any royalties, but I'm not embittered because that idea is now in action. If you go to the frozen food department of your local supermarket, you will find Weight Watchers specialties, seven delicious Weight Watchers dinners, flounder, haddock, perch, and these are good cuts of fish. They're delicious, even though they're frozen. When you thaw them out, you can't tell they're frozen. Filet of sole, sirloin of beef chopped, turkey and veal stuffed peppers. You can also choose from six new delicious Weight Watchers luncheons, chicken creole, chopped chicken liver, filet of sole, flounder, perch, haddock. They're all precisely formulated to conform to the Weight Watchers Weight Control Program, 
which means these dinners and luncheons are all hearty, they're satisfying, they're delicious, and they're just as they would be if you had the time and the patience to confect and perfect these luncheons and dinners according to Weight Watchers specifications. They're easy to fix. You pop them into the oven and that's all. Look for these great Weight Watchers specialties at your supermarket. If you don't see them, ask your grocer to get them in and stock them up. If he cares enough about people who care enough about their weight like you to ask, then he will stock them rather quickly. Weight Watchers at your nearest supermarket. The restaurant we call Scandia has a catering service which in a way takes the spotlight away from the smorgasbord in case you're having a party. Scandia is part of the Hotel Piccadilly. They, they don't just live together, they are married, they work together. The Hotel Piccadilly has a lot of fascinating rooms and chambers and salons and the penthouse. And if you're having a party from between 10 people, as small as 10 or as large as 300, call circle 66600. You will not get a stentorian, impatient, rather formalized banquet manager who will read you hideous prices for prefabricated food. You will probably be talking to Nick Betos personally, who just enjoys having new groups of new people come in and see and sample and savor his wares at the Hotel Piccadilly when they're catered by Scandia. You'll pay less, you'll get a lot more, and you get something so much more than even Scandia planned. You will get a central location. You'll be in the Hotel Piccadilly, whether you're in the Edwardian room or the penthouse suite, and you're central. If your group is coming from all over the metropolitan area, what could you give them better as a head start than a location near Times Square where everybody can take a train to Penn Station and walk, a train to Grand Central and walk or take the shuttle. You're right at Times Square. You will enjoy delicious food. And there's a great element of care, which I think makes this service superior. And you won't pay much. And I'm sure your friends will have a good time. All of mine always have. If you don't believe me, ask the WOR engineers. That's the Hotel Piccadilly and Scandia. I'm advertising their catering service, not their smorgasbord. You can have their smorgasbord. There's even a kosher kitchen. Talk it over with Nick Beto, circle 66600, circle 66600. My partners for the expedition, Alwyn Nikolai, artistic director of the Nikolai Dance Theater. And I hope Mr. Nikolai has a, a high blush threshold because I've been spying on his press releases and on his write-ups behind his back. I've never seen this kind of praise. Let's forget the New York pre uh, press because they're going to be pr a little bit subconsciously proud of Mr. Nikolai because he's one of ours. Let's consider the London press where they can't wait to lie in ambush for American culture and karate chop it on sight. London Times, the work of a genius. London Times again. I do not believe there is a more beautiful, original, or imaginative site in London than Alwyn Nikolai's tent. The Financial Times. Now, what does any Financial Times know about anything like this? Listen. Alwyn Nikolai is the magician of modern dance, a juggler with lights, sound, props, and bodies who creates a world of illusion that is beautiful, stimulating, witty, and totally engrossing. Charles Reinhardt is president of Charles Reinhardt Management. He's on the advisory committee of the Asian Society of Performing Arts. He's past consultant to the United States State Department Cultural Presentations Program. Mimi Yankovich has a job that I envy her for. Ooh, why couldn't I have been cultural advisor to a cultural attache at the American Embassy in Belgrade like Mimi Yankovich has been for the past 17 years? Okay. 
Mr. Nicolai, uh, come on in about a mile and a half closer to that microphone and uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your dance troupe. Uh, put it on the map for people listening in Arkansas and West Virginia and even uh, the corner of Nebraska closest to New York uh, who uh, haven't had a chance to see you in New York or London or around the world. Well, <clears throat> it seems that I insist upon choreographing lights and sound as well as dancers. And I think we call that multimedia or total theater, and that's perhaps the... Uh, kind of thing that uh, describes this best. I thought smart aleck young people yeah. called it multimedia. I didn't know accomplished artists also <laughs> called it multimedia. Well, we, uh, when, when I first did it, I called it uh, Conscious of Light, Sound, Color, and Motion. Uh, and uh, this was in 1954, 53, around then. And then later got on, I got the title of Multimedia and Total Theater. When was the first time you performed behind what we used to call, and some of us still do, the Iron Curtain? <clears throat> I guess, well, we're, we're sitting with the lady right here who uh, uh, was responsible for my first appearance, and that was in Yugoslavia. And when was that, Mimi? 19... Uh, uh, it was in 68. 68, 1968. But I must say, when I, when I heard you greet Mimi in that uh, uh, wonderful splurge of Serbo-Croatian that you came out with, I was green with envy, and I, <laughs> I recalled tried to get a taxi to take me from the hotel to the theater and I would go to the, the, the poster that advertised our, our presentation there and point to the theater, take the taxi man by the hand and point to the theater and, and indicate that's where I wanted to go. Otherwise, I'd never gotten anywhere. So you can imagine my my great admiration when you okay. spewed out. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's if somebody were to ask me what what uh -huh. I've done outside America that I'm most proud of, it would be <laughs> dialing an, uh, information in Yugoslavia, which is Nula Osam, a zero eight, oh, yeah. uh, and getting somebody's number, because I don't really speak the language. I, I imitate the sound. I refuse to use the grammar. I'd, I'd rather go to prison uh, in Vojvodina than uh, use the uh, genitive, for example, and yet I got my telephone number. Well, that, that's that's one I can't manage. I can do a little uh, 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 sort of restaurant French and restaurant German, and then then the tongue stops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Have you been in any of the other? And let's yes, uh, let's be non-pejorative and call them the Eastern countries. Uh, well, in uh, Warsaw, in Buch, uh, uh, is that the right, not the right way to say it? In uh, uh, Lodz, actually, Lodz, Lodz, yes, and uh, in uh, Budapest. And, uh, when were you in Hungary? In Hungary, about two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, enjoyed it very much. It was really quite marvelous. And uh, Poland, too. Uh, Yugoslavia, I enjoyed particularly. Mimi Jankovic, what was it like speaking uh, Serbo-Croatian as a native and advising the American cultural attaché in Yugoslavia? Was your job more cultural or more political? Oh, it's definitely more cultural. It's, it's really not political at all. Well, maybe... Mr. Reinhardt will, will disagree with me, but I really think that we are doing a, a cultural mission and not a political mission. Mm -hmm. What kind of uh, activities did you bring over from the United States? Well, we have a great variety of uh, different, uh, different uh, entertainment, beginning with jazz down to very serious classical music. In the theater, unfortunately, we had bad luck.